Today, I want to talk to you about a great question. We're in this series on the questions that God asks us, and I'm enjoying it. Uh, There's some great questions, and they do make us think, and I'm glad we can uh, review them and and go through some of them. We'll do this through the end of February, and uh, we'll have uh, a lot to learn and some wonderful experiences, I think, that are ahead for us. We're going to 1 Kings today, if you want to turn in your Bible to 1 Kings. We're going to chapter 17, we'll start there, going to do uh, quite a bit of uh, paraphrasing and and getting through this, won't read much, I'm going to tell the story, touch on a few verses as we get to the core of the question that God is asking. So in 1 Kings 17, we find out that what's going on in in the world at that time, there had been a great famine, and that was because there had been three years without rain. And so that's the problem. And Elijah has been tapped by God to change that in the world and to go confront the king at the time, King Ahab, who was very evil and worshiped false gods. And God taps Elijah on the shoulder to go deal with that and and take care of that and and let's show the, the people worshiping false gods that there is a real God. And boy, this is a dramatic chapter in scripture where we see God show up. But then we also see a human response. We find ourselves in this text. I find myself every time I'm here. So you're going to see yourself today in this text, I believe, as we take a look at it. In chapter 18 of 1 Kings, Elijah confronts Ahab and and, uh, says, we're going to uh, show the world here who is the real God. Of course, Ahab gladly accepts the challenge. And so there are these false prophets worshiping false gods, and then there is the one true God. So in chapter 18, verse 22, Elijah says, he feels like I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets but Baal has 450 prophets. So, so there, right there's a little, little clue what's coming is that Elijah tended to underestimate uh, what God could do, and he's certainly overestimating the enemy because there actually wasn't just him, himself. He wasn't the only one worshiping God, but we'll see that in a little bit. So he says, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets, but, but Baal has 450. So then uh, God tells Elijah, here's what I want you to do. You challenge the king, and I want you to do the same, Elijah, and you're both going to build these massive, what we would might call a bonfire. We're going to build these big piles of wood, and then we're going to each get a bowl, and we're going to cut the bowl into pieces, and we're going to lay the bowl over on top of these bonfires. And then king will call down from heaven or call on his prophets to make fire appear and burn up the uh, the bowl and the wood and all that, and then Elijah's going to do the same. So uh, Elijah says to Be- uh, to uh, uh, to the king, to King Ahab, he says, "You go first. And so he did. If you, it's a fascinating story. So they did all this. They got the the uh, bonfire. As I, it's the best way for me to describe it. This big bonfire going and get started. And so. Uh, king was starting to pray to his God, oh, bring fire. And it never came. And so then Elijah would taunt him a bit and say, oh, why don't you, let's take some more time. Let's just give you some more time to keep calling on Elijah. I keep calling on your God to come and demonstrate that he is truly God by burning up your pile of wood with a bowl on it. And of course, nothing happened. So then it was time for Elijah to do the same. And so Elijah kind of ups the ante a bit. And he says, you know what? I'm going to do something over in my bonfire here that you didn't do in yours, king. I'm going to have water poured all over it. 
I'm going to just have water just soak and soak that wood. And he said, in fact, let's dig a little moat around it and uh, it'll, it'll have the water. The water will come in there. We're going to pour so much water in this thing that there'll actually be a little, little creek around, as I would call it, just a little moat full of water. Not little by any means. So that's what they did. He just poured water on it. And then he started calling on the God of all gods to do what he knew God could do. And sure enough, God shows up and in a, you know, within nanoseconds, this entire pile of wood is gone. All the water is gone. The bowl is gone. It's all gone as if it was never there. So it's evident who the real God is. And you would think in that moment, Elijah would just, to me, I'd want to go kind of sit on the side of the mountain and just bask in the glory of God, what God had just done and this great thing that had happened. It's kind of like what happens to us sometimes. We're in church, maybe we're at a great, uh, maybe a, a great concert of where Christ is exalted, and we, uh, we just leave there on a high. We're just so glad we spent that time there in church or, or listening to great music or whatever it may be. And, and then we get home and, and reality kind of sets back in. The challenges of life get a little more real, and we have to decide, are we going to hang on to that joy, or are we gonna let it be stolen by things that will always be trying to steal our joy? Well, after this great miracle takes place, there's word that uh, King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, she says and makes a threat. She goes, uh, within 24 hours, basically, by this time tomorrow, uh, Elijah will be dead. That's a pretty bold statement. And you would think after what had just happened, Elijah would say, I don't think so. God did not just do what he did to end my life. But he was afraid, and in that moment, really afraid, and so he takes off running, takes off running. He's scared. This miraculous experience with God, and he ran for a full day, it says, into the desert. And then he finally sits down by a tree and he registers his first complaint. He'll say it two or three times here, but the first time, here's what he says. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I just want to die. Fear of the prophets of Baal who've just been shown they're not prophets at all. The angel comes and provides food and water and that kind of helped Elijah just get up and run even further, so he kept running. He ran 40 days and 40 nights. And he finds a cave, and he spends the night in the cave. And while he's in the cave, God asks a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Mm -hmm. Have you found yourself in a place you know you shouldn't be with thoughts that aren't valid? or fears that are unfounded? Have you ever heard God say to you, what are you doing here? What are you doing in that place? What are you thinking? God shows up, of course. And so Elijah keeps registering his fears. I've served the Lord Almighty, but I'm the only one left. Jezebel's trying to kill me. So God says, okay, Elijah, I want you to go out and stand 
on the mountain. Get out of the cave, go stand on the mountain. For the Lord is about to pass by. Now, this is interesting that he sent out to, uh, to, to wait for the Lord to pass by. Now, I would have been looking for the least little thing. Oh, that must be the Lord moving. So Elijah kind of does the same thing. So first of all, there's this powerful wind that comes up. But it says the Lord was not in the wind. And then there's an earthquake. <laughs> what a Sunday. I'd already planned this before we had earthquakes. <laughs> Believe me. I almost thought maybe I shouldn't even go there this week because earthquakes in Oklahoma is just a little odd. And, uh, and when you wake up and your house is shaking a bit, that will, that will call. You, I, if you didn't call on God, then you're probably never going to. <laughs> but then there's this earthquake. But it says, but God was done in the earthquake. And then there was fire, massive fire. But God was not in the fire. But then there was a gentle whisper. What are you doing here? And in 1 Kings 19, I'm going to paraphrase this. The three chapters long of the story he goes, uh, at least those three chapters. But he finally says, God finally says, look, you're not the only one, by the way. I've reserved 7,000 prophets in Israel. You're not the only one. You're not alone. So he says, I want you to get up and head back where you came from. In fact, go the exact same way you came and get back to what I've called you to do. Because where you are now is where you don't belong. And it's time for you to get back to what I've called you to do. What's interesting is James 5 will tell us, go way into the New Testament, we'll find out Elijah was a man just like us. That's a good reminder. He was just like us. He's just an ordinary guy. Which again reminds us that you don't have to, I don't know what you think the criteria would be for God to speak to you, but the criteria is are you going to listen to him? Are you open to hearing his voice? Do you serve him? Do you love him? Do you read the word? Do you, do you have an opportunity for him to speak to you? Because he will if you'll allow him to. You'll hear from him through the, through the Bible. Elijah was hearing an audible voice, but he was a man just like us. And he makes two mistakes here. First of all, he minimized the miracle. God had just come down from the sky and just like that, torched this huge pile of wood with a bowl on it and took all the water with it. And now he's minimizing the miracle. It's like having this great moment of, with God in your life. Maybe you'd have an Easter Sunday moment, you know, and God's just so real to you, and, and you, re, you realize again, you're reminded again that God has sacrificed his son for us, that Jesus came to give us his life, to forgive us of our sins, that we might have a, the life God wants us to have. Not trouble-free by any means, because we still live in a world that Jesus said is full of trials of many kinds. But he's just had this miraculous moment. Have you ever been in church or been in a, a conference somewhere where you just are saturated with good things of God and within 24 hours we are feeling or acting like we are lost and all alone? What happens to us? Well, the enemy gets a hold of us for one. I believe that. Because the enemy wants to discourage us. If, we, if, if the enemy can keep us discouraged, he can thwart the things that God might have in mind for us. So what are you doing where you are? He minimizes the miracle. He minimizes what had just happened to him. And then he magnifies the problem. So he, the, he made little, too little, 
of the miracle that had happened and he grossly overestimated the problem. He magnifies the problem as if Jezebel and false prophets can get in the way of God doing what God's going to do. Now, there's many times I've been through the text over the last probably 15, 20 years, and it's a great text, and, and uh, uh, counselors, uh, authors, and, and a lot of uh, brilliant religious leaders and, and uh, uh, people that are, are, are well-versed in the scriptures, they will say that this is a great text on depression, that Elijah was demonstrating all of the things that, that a counselor or a therapist or a doctor might say, you are clinically depressed. And I've used this several times in sermons about depression. But, and that's still true. That's, but today I want to I take a little different turn and not just focus in on the depression part of this. But again, to get back to answering a question that I believe God's asking all of us. And that is, what are you doing wherever you are? What are you doing there? Where, especially if you're in a place where you know nothing good is possibly going to happen here. God will probably not show up wherever you are that you're trying to run from him. Now, when you are running from him, be careful because he will show up and give you an opportunity just like he did Elijah. He'll get your attention one way or the other, or at least he'll try. You've got to be receptive. You've got to be open to it. So why, why did he get discouraged? Well, all kinds of things. He was afraid of Jezebel for one. He immediately isolates himself instead of getting around people that will celebrate with you what, the, what God might be doing, the work of God in you, or the experience you've just had with God. He runs alone, and he's mulling over all the things that had just happened, and somehow all he can see now is the threat on his life. Fear, isolation, he's tired. We see that throughout the text. And there's clearly disillusionment here. The only reason I would ask you maybe to write those down and not forget these is this is somewhat of a prescription for discouragement. These are the signs, if we're not careful, if we're living in fear rather than faith, there's, there's going to be a chance for you to become discouraged if you isolate yourselves. And that's what people tend to do when they're in difficult moments. We isolate ourselves. The, the, more, the moment we need that Wednesday night group or that Bible study or the Monday night care series, the, moment, the more we need that, the less we will tend to shy away from it in our worst moments. We know we need it, and yet we think we can do without it. And we isolate rather than run into the very thing that's there where God's going to do something for us and help us through this difficult moment. But we let fear rule the day, isolation, we get alone rather than running toward people we need. Fatigue, of course, is never a good thing, mixed in with all these other things, and all of a sudden we're disillusioned. We're just, we've lost our perspective. We've lost the ability to see reality. We have to remember, God, God will do for you what he did for Elijah. He provided rest. He provided an angel. Even, even when you're running from God, he's not going to give up on you. He will be pursuing you. Even when you're running from God, he will show up and give you what you need in your dark moment. He will. You've just got to give him a chance. We, if he doesn't show up in the next hour, we give up on him. God may want to wait and show up in another week or two or three or a month or 
three months or six months. We just don't wait for that. There was rest, there was an angel, there was food, bread and water. He gave Elijah exactly what he needed to begin to wake up and start dealing with the truth of his life, the perspective that he needed to be reminded you're not alone. You're not the only, you're not the only one left. And with God's power, I believe he lets Elijah know there's work we must do. You need to get up, turn around and get back to where you were and get back to what I've got in mind for you. But again, when God tells him this, he, Elijah kind of wants to start right back in. Well, you know, Jezebel wants to kill me and there's, I'm the only one. And, you know, I, I would think if we could uh, really, if I, if I knew the Hebrew language, I took New Testament Greek in college, tried Hebrew, and it was, that was going to be a real ding on my, uh, my uh, GPA. So I decided to do something different there. But if, I think there's times if in the Hebrew we might hear, we might hear uh, God saying to Elijah, will you just get up and get home? Will you quit your complaining and your griping? Get out of yourself, get your eyes on me and let me take you where there'll be great things that will happen in your life if you will trust me. And he minimizes the miracle. And then the question, this great question, I'm gonna ask it again. I want you to be thinking about it. What are you doing here? Why are you here? What are you doing here? This is not where you belong. There are things I want you to do, God will say. There's a plan for you. There are people that need you. There are circumstances that need you to step up and, and let me use you in a moment that you may not believe you've got capacity to do it or cap capability to do it. God will say to us, I've got something for you. I want you to get back where you were. I want you to get out of the place that you are and let's let God finish the work he has in mind for us. And so God shows up just like he did for Elijah. And sometimes we're looking for the dramatic. We, we, want, we like drama. And I, and I get it. I, I, can, I can get very emotional in worship, around, and particularly with great music and great worship. Boy, that can just stir me and, and just do things inside of me that are very helpful, very, quite a blessing to me as they are to all of us. When we have a chance just to worship and we are led so well by someone who's not going to be the centerpiece or demand all the attention, they just want to lead us in worship. So I love about all of our worship leaders uh, in our church family and at crossings. And there, there are times God will show up in miraculous ways. Clearly, you, you walk away from that situation going, wow, God really showed up for me today. And how many times has he shown up for us, and we didn't, we didn't see it. We missed it. God was not in the dramatic, the wind, the earthquake, the fire. That's not where he was. I love this phrase. God showed up in a gentle whisper, the Bible says. A gentle whisper. And how many times have we missed the whisper? Then a voice said to him, 
The voice said to him, get up and let's get back to where you belong. Have you heard that voice before? Let's get back to what you know is where you belong. Let's get back to the place where God can continue to do in your life what you already have sensed he's doing. Even in those moments where you think you've outrun him and you finally have escaped him or you think he can't find you, you'll find out. In fact, in those difficult moments, you tend to hear the voice of God a little clearer than at other times. And we're often, look, we're often looking in, in the wrong places. We're often depending on the wrong influences. We let other things, or we look to other things as if they're going to solve our problem. When a lot of times the things we look to will medicate the problem and not in a healthy way. And they will prolong the difficulty we may be facing. And when you open that wonderful book called a Bible, and when you truly do talk to God, I know for those of you that are maybe not believers yet, you're not sure about the, this thing called Christianity. And by the way, I'm so thankful you're here. I'm thankful you're giving us an opportunity to at least let you hear what is possible. I appreciate that a lot. I love that God uses us for that purpose. But there are times when you know, if you've been following Jesus for a while, you can open the Bible and you can do some reading, maybe on a reading plan, which is always helpful. And you'll hear the voice of God. You'll read something and you'll go, oh my goodness. It's exactly what I needed today. Now that doesn't happen every day. But if you stick with it, you'll find yourself, you'll find descriptions of yourself in God's word. And you'll go, that's me, I, that's me. And I need to see what God did to turn that around. That's the beauty of his word. So what we need to do, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, it's time for us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. That What will he do? He will lift us up in just the right time. That's what he will do. So what do we do? Let's give him all our anxiety. Cast all the anxiety on him. Why, cast, why give him all our anxiety? Look at that. Simple phrase in the New Testament. Just a simple phrase. He cares for you. He cares for you. Even when you've run too far, even when you find yourself in a place you're ashamed to be, he still cares for you. He doesn't give up on you. And if you'll listen for that gentle whisper, you will find his invitation to come back to him, to his love, to his leadership, his guidance, his care, his concern. You see, the psalmist said it so well in Psalm 56, three, when I'm afraid, I'll put my trust in you. I, I, if I were you, and if you're, if you're inclined occasionally to have discouraging moments, I can't imagine anybody in here that, that doesn't have that occasionally. But I think when we are afraid, I think it's a good idea for us to maybe write this down somewhere that we can see it. That yes, today I'm fearful. I've just got to remember what the psalmist said. I'm going to put my trust in God. God, you've got this. 
I, I was telling the other, uh, one of the other services earlier about uh, a Colorado experience I had back in, this, in the summer. And I've, I've not told anybody this. My family knows, knows this. It's not a big dramatic thing. But I was really agonized. I was kind of sweating through this, the fall season that was coming. Uh, this is back in July. We're in the mountains, and we had about 10 days up there. And, and I had a yellow pad of paper. Uh, that's what I use. I know there are tablets and there are iPads and there's technology, but there's something about just a yellow pad of lined paper just gives me security. <laughs> and so I had a yellow pad of paper. I'm sitting there looking out, you know, the, the views up there, you, any window you look out, the views are incredible. And I was really worked up about this. The staff knows this, my team knows this. Just should we do this, should we not? Is it time, should we wait? And I mean, it was clear as a bell. And I wrote it down. I resigned, not from the church. <laughs> I said, God, I resign from being so worried about the future. I, and I, it was just this, this sense that God, he's, he just reminded me, this is mine, Marty, this isn't yours. I got this. And, and you've got stuff in front of you that you didn't come up with. You didn't create it. It came to you. Now, what are you going to do with it? It was a great moment. It was that gentle whisper. I, I, I hadn't even started praying yet. I don't think I'd even opened the Bible yet. I just sat and stared out the window. And it was like, okay, I get it. Got home mid-July, and we got to work. So, okay, we're going to take the biggest step of faith we've ever taken. We're going to press on. The church may think we're completely crazy. We'll find out. We're either crazy or you're up to something so big we can't imagine. I've never seen anything like it in all 40 years of ministry. And within four weeks, we're given a church building. We didn't ask for we weren't looking for it. You know the story. I still mesmer I'm just mesmerized by that, that miracle of God. Okay, God, this is what you had in mind. Wish you'd have told me this back in July. We're given a church building, a beautiful church building, by a group of incredibly godly people who just want the work of God in their community. And they said, come help us. And this past Wednesday night, we gathered over at Mayfair before the carpet goes down. And we did at Mayfair last Wednesday night what we did in this particular building in Oklahoma City in 1999. We wrote verses on the floor. If we could peel up the carpet around these halls and take off the paint, you'd find Bible verses written by our church folks in 1998 and 99. And we did the same thing Wednesday night. And I just stood back in the back I couldn't, even I couldn't even talk about it. And I watched God, God's work unfolding. I was, the, I was watching what happens when God nudges a pastor at Mayfair Jared Chambers and the elders. Oh, I was watching what happened when just simple steps of faith are taken. And I was reminded that God always has more in mind for us than we can fathom. So let's not be afraid. Let's trust him. 
let's stay right where he is. Quit running other places thinking it will bring us something good. Never does. Because even when I walk through the darkest valley, folks, even when we walk through the darkest valley, we will not be afraid because he is close beside us. And I believe that. I know many of you have experienced it and our hope and prayer for this church continuing in this city and community and beyond that we can help people see there is hope. There is someone who does care. There's forgiveness. There's peace. There's grace. But you've got to take that step of faith and leave the place where you are and run to him. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for this time together today. How we thank you so much for all that you've done in our lives, in our church, and what you have planned that we can't even fathom yet. Father, we thank you. Father, thank you for this Bible that is so practical when we can read a story from thousands of years ago. And it's so real and it's so us. And we remember when you've asked us the question, or we've asked ourselves, what are we doing here? Father, we thank you for this. We thank you that you had this in mind long ago. Help us all, Father, to have learned it today, to have heard it, to be willing to take steps of faith and trust you as we turn from where we are to get to where you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Prayer teams are in the front of all of our rooms. So be sure to let us pray for you if there's a need you'd like to have us pray for.